Production made possible in part by MedPlus Advantage. You're listening to Radio Rounds, a talk show created and hosted by medical students. Coming up on today's show, Dr. Harley Liker, medical consultant on the television show House. The medical students that I worked with when the show first came out said, oh, you're, you're just like Dr. House. And I'm like, oh, no. I, I'm, I, I initially did not take that as a compliment, took it more of as an insult. More from Dr. Harley Liker coming up on Radio Rounds right now. Here come the Radio Welcome to Radio Rounds. Welcome to Radio Rounds, everyone. I'm Teresa Lee. And I'm Yojin Patel. Thank you so much for joining us today. A lot of the focus here at Radio Rounds is aimed at providing listeners with the humanistic and empathetic aspects of medicine. And I feel it's also our duty to present the unique and unexpected avenues that medicine may take you towards. So our guest for the day is Dr. Harley Liker, who had a big hand in the inception of House and its main characters, and is currently the primary consultant for the medical show. Dr. Liker is currently the Associate Clinical Professor of Medicine at the UCLA Medical Center. He received his medical degree from the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and his business degree from the Anderson School of Medicine at UCLA. He's board certified in internal medicine and was chosen as one of the top physicians in the United States by Town & Country magazine. He currently serves as a medical consultant for the television show House, which he has been intimately involved with since the show's creation in 2004. I started off by asking him how he became involved in the creation of this thrilling medical drama. Uh, it turns out that the creator of House, a uh, really nice gentleman by the name of David Shore, has a daughter. And his daughter and my son, who are both uh, about 13 years old, were in preschool together. And it turns out that um, my wife and his wife became really good friends. They lived around the corner from us at the time. And David, at that point, was working on, I think, a show called Family Law and then subsequently a show called Hack and our families just became close, and he would ask me what was going on kind of professionally in my life. I would ask him what was going on professionally in his life. And at one point, several years into our relationship, said, you know, I was approached by, I think it was Fox. I can't remember if it was Fox or NBC. Maybe it was NBC originally, um, to develop a TV show, and I've got this idea of, creating this character, and the character didn't have a name yet, um, who was going to be like Sherlock Holmes. And very few people know, but the reason why House is called House is because House is close to Holmes. Um, and that he was going to have a little bit of a, a rough personality, and that he was going to solve medical mysteries. Uh, and I said, oh, that sounds really great. And he said, you know, I'm, I'm working on this pilot. Would you mind taking a look at the um, at the script for me? I'd love to kind of get some feedback. You know, David is actually trained as a lawyer. Uh, he goes, I don't really know anything about medicine, and it would really be helpful if I could tell you a little bit about my vision for the show, and you could help me figure out what kind of characters, at least from a medical qualification standpoint, one would want to have on a show like this. 
and he came over to my office and we started talking. I said, well, you know, if you want things to be dramatic and emotional, you need an oncologist because cancer is obviously emotional. You probably need an intensivist because those are the dramatic cases when people are crashing. Um, and in terms of medical mysteries, you know, uh, rheumatologic diseases are often tricky and interesting. I think around that time as well, I think it wasn't too far after the anthrax scare. So the notion of doing something in the infectious disease realm um, also kind of came to mind, and I thought that would be a good uh, kind of qualification for one of the physicians on the show as well. Are you involved in the creative process in an episodic format or in a seasonal format? Can you just describe how that works in your specific involvement? The, the role has really kind of evolved over the years. We're in season eight now, if I'm not mistaken. And, you know, very early on, specifically in season one and to a lesser extent in season two, um, you know, the writers, none of whom were physicians except for David Foster, you know, really didn't have any experience with medicine per se, other than they own their own personal experiences in their doctor's offices or, or dealing with family members that may have had an illness along the way. So as a result, they didn't really know kind of how to write a medical script. So in the first couple of seasons, you know, I had to explain, you know, what is a deep vein thrombosis and how does a deep vein thrombosis become a pulmonary embolism and how does a patient with a pulmonary embolism uh, actually present and what could be included in a differential diagnosis because if you think about house and the way house is structured is someone initially presents with a symptom oftentimes and that symptom isn't so clear-cut that it's clear what the final diagnosis is but in reality we try and find things that have very broad differentials um, and then as we work our way through each act we try to narrow down no different than when a, a physician comes up with a differential and tries to narrow down via various testing and taking history and doing a physical as to what the right diagnosis may be. So as a result, the, the writers really had no experience on the medical side and relied heavily on their three consultants um, that have been on the show, myself, Lisa Saunders, who I think you guys have interviewed previously, uh, and now a guy named John Sotos, uh, who was not there at the beginning, but has subsequently come on as also a very uh, bright, thoughtful guy up at Stanford. And they really relied upon us to help them gener generate the differentials and try and figure out which things in the differential they could focus on kind of during each act, recognizing that you wouldn't want to get to the final answer or the correct diagnosis uh, into the final act. So that was a very kind of uh, involved process early on. I think as the writers became more familiar with dealing with a medical drama and learning more about medicine, there was a little less of that that was required. I think the other thing that happened was there was a, a major focus on technical accuracy early on in the show, and they really took every single note that any of the consultants or the three of us would give and really say, gee, we want to make sure that this is as technically tight as could be. I think as the show's ratings went up and they knew they had a formula that was working, they were, I think, not as concerned about 
everything being absolutely, completely, you know, medically, um, I don't use the word accurate because everything is accurate, but the, the plausibility uh, of each story got stretched a little bit. And I think the understanding here is that this is a drama, right? Just, just the way ER is a drama uh, or was a drama, uh, recognizing that if you watched ER and you've ever spent time in emergency room, even in the busiest ERs, you know, you don't see, you know, five heart attacks and three gunshot wounds and two stabbings kind of all come in within an hour, right? That's not, that, that's not what happens, but to make a show like ER, you know, entertaining and exciting and to keep a viewership um, kind of glued to the television you need to take dramatic license, and that's why we call these shows dramas. So I think they were willing, they weren't willing to take as much dramatic license early on because the goal was to, you know, make any doctor sit there and think, gee, this really could happen, and yes, maybe this has happened. And I think that the guiding principle that, that we've used as the show has gone on is if it could happen or it has happened, then it can happen on, on house. So where do you find your inspiration? The way the role has evolved over the years, as I alluded to, is the, the writers have become more and more comfortable with the medicine so that my role now is often really reviewing scripts. Actually, I review every single script and read every word in every script and make sure that you know, names and medications are right and dosages are right and diagnoses make sense and that there is you know, medical evidence to support the diagnosis. You know, I'll sit in front of my computer and often be on up to date and will look up things that the writers may have come up with. It's possible something that I hadn't even heard of uh, or certainly hadn't, you know, visited since my medical school training, you know, 15, 20 years ago. I think the writers are inspired, right, to tell compelling life stories that are, are meaningful to them and hopefully meaning, meaningful to the viewership. And I also think there's an opportunity on a show like this to highlight you know, certain diseases and make certain social statements about whether it be the way you know, the homeless population gets their care or the cost of medication or you know, the disparities um, in our healthcare system. Or, for example, orphan diseases that uh, oftentimes you know, may not get mentioned. And again, maybe it's not the show's intention to highlight an orphan disease, but I think there is um, kind of the ad benefit of that exposure. And I've, I've seen numerous letters written from various societies kind of thanking the writers and the producers for highlighting a particular disease or condition on the show. And, and we can often uh, at least try to kind of correct misconceptions about certain things and, and try and tell the story kind of in the right way and, and present a diagnosis in the right way. So in terms of inspiring the writers, you know, what I do uh, is typically once and sometimes twice a season, I will bring in an expert from various fields. So whether it be a neurologist or a pulmonary critical care person or a pediatric gastroenterologist, and I'll ask that person to come in and share some of their most interesting stories uh, in their medical career, some of their most challenging cases, some of their most humorous cases, um, and hopefully uh, in those sessions, we create 
kind of the kernels for ideas that will, you know, ultimately germinate uh, and become uh, full-fledged episodes, whether it be what we call the A story, which is the main story that gets carried throughout an entire episode, or what's called the B story, which is kind of a maybe just a little vignette in the clinic that takes place, and hopefully the writers get inspiration from either stories that I've shared with them from my 15 or 20 years of clinical practice uh, or from uh, the uh, experts that I bring in from, as I mentioned, a a wide variety of uh, fields across medicine. You spoke before about the balance between the technical aspects of medicine on the show and the dramatic component for the general public. When you review these scripts, how do you find the perfect balance so that you're both pleasing the medical community and the general public? Yeah, look, I think it's important to recognize that the if you look at the viewership of the show, and I can tell you my students at UCLA, many of them are religious house watchers, but you know, it's it's not a show that's particularly um, designed for doctors per se. Although I know there are many physicians that that watch the show, uh, it is really designed for the general you know, viewing population, you know, of which 99.5, 99.9% are probably non-physician. My goal is always to make it as plausible as possible so that if a physician was watching it, even if it was in his or her particular area of expertise, so if it was a, a GI case, I'd want a gastroenterologist to be able to watch the episode and say, wow, yeah, that, that could happen, as opposed to, oh, this is just completely ridiculous and this is just so far, far-fetched and no way, no how. So the, the balance comes from my desire to try and make it as technically accurate as possible versus the writer's desire to tell a good story. Every once in a while, there is um, a conflict between the two my role is to say, hey, I just need to let you know that this isn't the way um, things would typically kind of progress or present in medicine. And if I thought it was impossible, you know, I'm going to take a, a hard line and say, this is just impossible, and I really don't think you should do this. And in those cases, the writers will uh, almost invariably listen. On the other hand, I may say, look, this is really far-fetched doesn't seem plausible, but it is possible. And as I mentioned earlier, the rule on house is if it has happened or it could happen, then it can happen on house. And at the end of the day, there's a a name attached to each script, and it says written by. (laughs) So they they get the writer's license to do what they want to do. Um, remember, I'm not the only person that reviews the script. So you've got Dr. Lisa Saunders, you've got Dr. John Sotos, you've got Dr. David Foster. So you've got at least four MDs reviewing the script. And my sense is if all four of us came back and and we all review them independently um, and just said, look, there's just no way you're going to have a three-headed baby. I know you want to have a three-headed baby, but there isn't a three-headed baby. And, you know, if you want to do this, you can, but there just aren't three-headed babies. They don't, they don't exist. And if you want to make the science fiction, God bless you, go ahead and do it. And if they hear, if a writer heard that from, you know, at least several members of the physician consulting team, you got to believe they'd step back and say, okay, you know, maybe, maybe I've gone too far. Do you find any reflection of yourself and your practice in any of the characters on House or any of the episodes? 
Um, you know, it's funny, the, the, the medical students that I worked with when the show first came out said, oh, you're, you're just like Dr. House. And I'm like, oh, no. I, I'm, I, I initially did not take that as a compliment, took it more of as an insult, because I think I'm just the opposite of Dr. House. I particularly um, really enjoy my interaction with my patients. There is, you know, there are really two sides to being a physician, or at least for me, two major motivations. One is solving medical problems and, and helping people. But equally important to me is, is really having a relationship where someone comes to count on you and rely on you, and, and you can be kind of that trusted advisor, you know, a la the, the Marcus Welby or the, the Norman Rockwell image of the doctor who's really, you know, kind of the caretaker. So I think when they referred to me as the Dr. House, I think they liked the idea that I really like to do differential diagnosis. Um, I like to solve difficult cases and, and difficult medical kind of dilemmas. Um, and I'm, I'm excited for you and your colleagues as, as fourth years, knowing that you know soon you'll be off doing residencies and, and fellowships and you know, bigger and better and more exciting things. But I think what you're going to find and what I hope your listeners will appreciate is, you know, being a physician is a gift and it's a privilege. And I, I remind my students of that all the time. And it is the human side and um, that, that makes me get up every morning and, and just remembering that when someone brings in their mom or their dad or their brother or their sister or their grandma or their grandpa, they're putting their faith in you to take care of their loved one, and that's not something that should be taken lightly. And again, I, I refer to it as a privilege. And I guarantee you, during your, you know, internship or residency, you're going to get called to refill a Tylenol order or a Colace order at three in the morning. And what I tell my students is, you know, remember that is someone's mom or dad or someone's brother or sister that you're out actually helping out. And the, the rule I've always taught them is, you know, try and treat the patients that you're blessed to take care of the same way you'd want you or your family to be taken care of. You're listening to Radio Rounds, and I'm Yojin Patel, and that was Dr. Harley Liker, Medical Technical Advisor for House. Teresa, we heard him say a lot about his main goal was portraying how the medical profession is in real life, and we see that through House. But what do you think about the other shows like Grey's Anatomy, other cop shows, other lawyer shows that you know portray these professionals, but they get a lot of criticism for not being realistic? Right. So actually, during the interview, Dr. Liker mentioned how the show utilizes medicine to serve as vehicles for character development and the generation of these traumatic situations. And so, you know, there's a question of whether or not these shows properly portray these professions. But in reality, I've actually heard from professionals in various areas that the portrayal of their professions are pretty accurate. There's obviously this increase in the level of drama, but I don't think that the show's creators or writers take too much creative license in how they go about portraying these people in their day-to-day -day jobs. In fact, I think the house is a great way to show that medicine does have this humanistic aspect. I think a negative portrayal that has somehow been generated through the general audience or through the general public is that a patient visits, visits the doctor. The doctor recognizes symptoms, diagnoses, prescribes and treats and is done with it and moves on to the next patient. But in-house, we see physicians get completely enthralled with these patients' symptoms. They're completely concerned. They become invested emotionally. And I think that's definitely a side of physicians that patients maybe aren't too aware of. I think house does emphasize 
a unique aspect of medicine for the general public to enjoy and to appreciate. But another issue that comes up with these types of medical dramas and any dramas that use professions as vehicles for this character development um, is both the consultant's obligations to recognize the knowledge of physicians and medical students who are probably watching these shows on a weekly basis and becoming fans, and then also serving the entertainment needs of the general public. And I know that Dr. Liker mentioned actually during his interview that throughout the years they've taken more creative license and you know, brought up more rare diagnoses that probably w- wouldn't happen in a day-to-day setting in a hospital. So the drama becomes increased, but I think nevertheless there is something to be said about being able to watch these diagnostic processes during the show and for medical students and physicians to relate to the processes that they're going through as well. So I've always wanted to be a physician from a really, really young age. So whenever medical dramas start, I become a huge fan immediately. So I watched House from the very beginning of its inception in 2004, like I mentioned previously. And as Dr. Liker mentioned, as the diagnostic cases became rarer and rarer, some of my um, interest in the show kind of actually decreased. And I have a tendency now when I catch an episode I can't help but to refer back to various lectures that I've had the past two years. And I always think to myself, that couldn't happen. So I changed the channel. But Yojin, are there any medical shows that you still like to watch or you enjoy? Yeah, I still, you know, when House first started, I started watching it as, you know, an undergrad. And I got really hooked to it because, hey, this was a new doctor show that had cool cases and, Um, It also had that drama aspect that you were talking about earlier. And Dr. Liker mentioned that they write the scripts for, you know, the 97%, 98% of people that aren't physicians that are watching the show. Although back then I didn't understand all the medical jargon. Um, Now that I watch it, I'm still interested in it. And it's a little different because I understand, you know, the tests they're running, what they're saying a little bit, not too much, but (laughs) a little bit from what I've picked up. Um, But at the same time, I'm still interested in that other side of the show, the drama side, how House's character has developed throughout the seasons and how they've taken him from, you know, being this, you know, doctor that apparently doesn't care about patients, but really does to, you know, this drug seeking physician that also helps people, you know, and we never really know what his interests are. We never really know what his mindset is. But I think that aspect they've explored more and In that way, I'm still interested in the show House. Other shows, I don't really get around to watching. I know ER back in the day, you know, I used to love it when George Clooney was on it. And (laughs) after that, I kind of just lost interest because, like you mentioned, it just went over and over, same things. You know, I started to realize that, hey, this wasn't possible at one emergency room. You know, all these cases just seem to repeat and... They have these impossible patients, but then at the end of the show, it's all resolved. And I think that's what happens to a lot of shows that are based off of professionals. And eventually, over time, they just lose that, you know, they just lose that momentum. And House doesn't seem to be doing that, as far as I could tell. You know, people are still hooked to it like they were the first season. Not you, apparently, (laughs) but um, I know I watch it and my other friends watch it also. You know, that that's the great thing about television, actually, that if one medical show is going to drop off, something else is going to replace it or something else is going to try to compete with it. And actually, over the course of the past decade, I would say, since my addiction to television has started, I think I've become addicted to each subsequent 
medical show in hopes of kind of creating this future fantasy life in my head. So we have house. So there's, you know, the drama aspect. There's that whole, you know, putting on this objective front, but being an amazing physician and being able to treat your patients successfully. Um, And then there's the aspect of your life that Grey's Anatomy throws in there with all the romances. I think that's pretty exciting. (laughs) And then I've always been a huge fan of scrubs because what is medicine without a little humor um and you know it's funny because actually practicing physicians have told me that scrubs is the most realistic in terms of how hospital activities are carried you know on a day-to-day basis the interactions between nurses and physicians and what it's like to be a resident on a given floor in a hospital so scrubs Grey's anatomy house those things all combined have made me look pretty forward to becoming a doctor, I'd say. And on the flip side, I've used these professional dramas as a tool in the classroom. So medical shows like House or legal shows like Law & Order have provided me great profiles on patients and, you know, great characterizations of symptoms. It's, It's actually quite impressive what these actors can do to portray someone who's sick. So I've definitely enjoyed these dramas and these comedies as both a student and just someone who's being entertained. Yojin and I right now, we are actually in our psych course. So we've been learning a lot about personality disorders, mood disorders. And every Tuesday on USA, 12 hour marathon of Law and Order Special Victims Unit. It's addicting. I actually don't recommend it to anyone because it will draw you in like a black hole. But from 10 in the morning until 10 at night, I'm sitting in front of the television and actually learning our the first perp suspect on the very first episode this past Tuesday had brocus aphasia, which is something that we've covered in both our neurology course and our psych course, where you essentially lose the ability to speak. It was super intriguing to see this kind of play out because while we read these symptoms, you know, in our textbooks, we never actually witness these these patients. And obviously being able to witness these symptoms, it kind of has a tendency to stay in your head a little better. So that was actually a disease that we learned both in our neurology course and our psychology course. And because of the nature of Law & Order Special Victims Unit, Most of the suspects or the victims are suffering from some type of mood disorder, some type of personality disorder. And it's just amazing to see these things played out because I definitely have a tendency to retain those episodes much more in my head, unfortunately, than the lectures that I'm presented. It's weird how many shows on TV actually relate to what you're learning in class um, as a physician or as a medical student. Um, That shows you'd never even expect, you know, that would... uh... That would relate to what you're doing on a PowerPoint slide two days later. Right. And it's also a great excuse to tell your parents why you're watching television so much instead of studying. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much to Dr. Liker for joining us today again. You can contact Radio Rounds via email, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. All that information is on RadioRounds.org, where you can now listen to all the past episodes on demand. These podcasts are also available as free downloads on iTunes. Just search the iTunes store for Radio Rounds. We'd now like to thank and credit those who made today's show possible. The American Medical Association's MedPlus Advantage Insurance Program is teaming up with Radio Rounds and Timmy Global Health to bring you Take a Trip with Timmy, an essay and video contest for interested students. The winner will spend two to three weeks working with Timmy Global Health medical teams and Timmy partner organizations in either Ecuador or Guatemala. 
As part of the prize package, the winning student will receive a free iPad 2 and digital underwater GPS camera. They'll also have an opportunity to blog each day about healthcare in the developing world while in their country. Submissions will be accepted in December 2011, and the winner will be selected and notified in early 2012. Stay tuned for more rules and details, and in the meantime, you can always check out more at www.takeatripwithtimmy.com. Radio Rounds is proudly partnered with the Student Doctor Network online at studentdoctor.net. Have questions about medical school or residency? Check out SDN Answers to view frequently asked questions or ask one of your own. Available online at studentdoctor.net. This episode was produced by Sarah Buckingham, Yojin Patel, and Shami Das. Thanks to the rest of our staff here at Radio Rounds and certainly to all of you listening. Please remember that the views and opinions expressed on Radio Rounds are not representative of the views and opinions of the partners of Radio Rounds or the Wright State University Boonshaw School of Medicine. Join us next week or download our next podcast and be sure to check out radiorounds.org for more information. Have a great week, everyone. For our entire staff here at Radio Rounds, I'm Teresa Lee. And I'm Yojin Patel. And one day, we'll, we'll be, be your, your doctors. doctors. Here come the Radio Welcome to Radio Round.